This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 568 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Stargirl drags the JSA and the Seven Soldiers out of retirement. DC takes another crack at Milestone. We hear Renee's story. The animated Batman gets another season. The crime syndicate takes sides. And the jig is up for Adam Strange. This is How I Got My Wife Read Comics for Sunday, June 6, 2021. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Or you can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and maybe leave us a review somewhere. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Stargirl Spring Break Special by Johns, Knock, Hitch, Hi-Fi, and Sinclair. The name of this book may have scared away a lot of potential readers. It looks like just another random holiday-based anthology. They would have missed what may become a key book that reestablishes two Golden Age teams. But we begin with Green Arrow showing new partner Amico Queen, a.k.a. Red Arrow, some archery tips. When Ollie starts getting insufferable, she mentions he didn't even invent Green Arrow. The guy from the 40s did that. He replies that he is the guy from the 40s. There is a yet untold story about he and Roy Speedy Harper got sent back in time by Clock King and joined the Seven Soldiers of Victory, which also included Vigilante, Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy, The Shining Knight, and The Crimson Avenger. The entire group, in turn, got marooned separately in different eras by the hand, then saved by a team of the JLA and JSA, as seen in JLA 100-102 from 1972. Considering that the League's chronology has been moved up near current times, this infers that the soldiers are at most a few, only a few years older than the main heroes. I was very happy about this. Because otherwise, what the heck is Stripesy doing getting married to somebody who's the age of Courtney's mother? Yep. The modern Crimson Avenger appears, saying that Lee Travis, the original Crimson Avenger, needs their help. And all of this is just a prologue to... Blue Valley and Courtney Whitmore, a.k.a. Stargirl, is going on spring break with her stepdad, Pat Dugan, a.k.a. Stripesy, a.k.a. Stripe. Pat has been contacted by Vigilante and asked to come down for a secret mission. This leaves Courtney wanting to party with other kids, but forced to tag along with Pat. She gets Pat to open up about his friends, which provides a pastiche about the Seven Soldiers. Sir Justin, a.k.a. Shining Knight, felt blame for not being there to protect Arthur and the Round Table. Green Arrow and Speedy had some tough times in the past, and at first this might have led to Speedy's drug use. 
Crimson Adventure started as a shadow clone with guns, but his sidekick Wing showed him a better way. Wing died during the events in JLA numbers 100 to 102, and Lee felt guilty over that, apparently dying while piloting an exploding ship away from innocence. Vigilante avenged the murder of his father, then stayed in the hero game. The modern Crimson Avenger appears and whisks Courtney and Pat away to join the remaining soldiers. Courtney and Amiko meet, then quickly learn they won't be accompanying the soldiers on their mission. It's too dangerous, which is understandable, considering how the other sidekicks fared. Amiko already learned that they are looking for the Clock King, so they suit up, then find a raging battle. Green Arrow gets blasted with past and future memories, the latter looking suspiciously like Kingdom Come, while Courtney sees a vision of Lee Travis back on the ship. Modern and classic Crimson Avengers meet, which causes a time paradox and a huge explosion, during which Courtney has a vision of Wing, along with Secret and Danny, along with a reference to Judy Garrick. Now, Secret was a young Justice member in the late 90s. There are two Dannys I could find, apart from Doom Patrol's Danny the Street. Danny Todd was Jason Todd's deceased older brother, and Danny Chase was a short-time member of the new Teen Titans. Judy Garrick would likely be a relative daughter of J. Flash Garrick. Later, Amiko visits Courtney with a lead on Wing. To be continued in, Stargirl number one. Yay! Finally, a postscript that's also a prologue. Clock King is hanging out in a bar in L.A., 1940, when Perdegaton warps in. Clock King stole his time travel tech, and Degaton is angry with how he used it to make a mess of things with Green Arrow. Clock just wants to go home, but he's got a job to do first. There are people I'm going to hurt, a lot of them, and we get a two-page spread of the JSA, both past and apparently present. The current group in bright colors would be familiar to anyone who read Jeff John's 2000s JSA run. The Rick Tyler Hour Man, Cyclone, granddaughter of Ma Uncle, a.k.a. the OG Red Tornado, Power Girl, the first post-rebirth appearance, Dr. Fate, Hawkman, Mr. Terrific, Jay, Flash, Garrick, Alan, Green Lantern, Scott, the second Dr. Midnight, the second Wildcat, Nuclon, Jade, Obsidian, Jakeem, Thunder, and Thunderbolt, and Stargirl. The earlier members in Sepiatone show the various versions over time, including Huntress. How does she exist? Is this Bruce's daughter? I really hope DC doesn't drop the ball. Let's see these solicitations for Stargirl and JSA. Milestone Returns, Infinite Edition Zero, by Cowan, Benjamin, Draper Ivy, Criss Cross, Sinkowitz, and Lee. Milestone began as a DC imprint in 1993, which they published but did not own or control. It was created as a coalition of African-American creatives who wanted to tell their own stories, set mostly in a Midwestern fictional town named Dakota. Their timing was terrible. 1993 was the height of the comic-collecting boom, which the death of Superman crushed. It was unfortunately marketed, or at least considered to be, comics for blacks, which didn't help their numbers. The comic book division shut down by 1997 with the remaining efforts going toward the Static Shock animated series. There have been efforts to revive Milestone. Some characters were merged into the main DCU. There was a DC limited series in 2010, a 2018 minor relaunch, which leads us to Milestone Returns number zero, a one-shot last year, which led to this comic. 
As you might expect, the revised Milestone story ties directly into the BLM movement. Protesters in Dakota are gassed with an experimental compound, which gives some of them powers, Static, Hot Street, Holocaust, and the Bang Babies. This is the Big Bang event, which was originally cops putting down a gang war in the 1993 version using a similar gas. There's also Icon and Rocket, a 200-year-old alien hero and his human sidekick. The first part of the book shows the Big Bang and the aftermath, while the second part is Icon introducing Rocket and us to the others, Hardware, Zombie, and Dharma. Frankly, if you didn't read the original books, you might be lost. It's really a prerequisite. Let's see if DC can avoid fumbling it this time. Multiple books, some digital first, have been announced. The Other History of the DC Universe, Book 4 from DC Black Label, by Ridley, Camincoli, Cucci, and Villarubia. John Ridley continues his DC run of diverse heroes with Renee Montoya, a queer Latinx, a former GCPD cop, and The Question. Her early life is the story of immigrants moving to Gotham to start a new life and her strong Catholic upbringing. Her younger brother Benny is stabbed but pulls through, and her parents' response is, well, Jesus made that happen. Of course, the cops knew who committed the attack, but couldn't collect enough evidence to convict, which taught Renee that law and justice, like a pair of star-crossed lovers, are constantly and hopelessly in search of one another. She stayed in the closet throughout school, even getting a boyfriend to avoid the shame her parents would heap on her otherwise. Later, she decides to become a cop, which she considered to be in between the Gotham gentry that controlled everything and the lower-level masses. Both sides' main motivation was greed. The original twisted killers of Gotham begin to appear, and she talks about the rumor that they are offspring of Gotham's wealthy families. The entire issue, like the others, comes in the form of a narration. Renee was forced to continue hiding her life from the rest of the GCPD in order to be accepted. Renee, you're one of the good ones. She joined the force at the height of the crack epidemic and gang violence of the early 90s. GCPD as a whole was just as corrupt as Daryl Gates' LAPD. This is where Ridley ties in the DCU to the real world. The only difference was leadership, that being James Gordon, he mostly followed the rules. This is the point when Batman enters the discussion, starting with his partnership with the Commish. The regular force were fine with the Dark Knight handling all the new loonies, plus it placated the masses. A police psychologist does a study on Batman and misses him completely, seeing him as a small man who follows the rules in life and uses Batman to fight what he sees as wrong in society. Oh, and he lives with his mother. Renee begins to recognize the parallels between the bat masks and her need to have a straight, secret identity. She moves up to the major crime squad, which means more contact with Batman's rogues. She sees them in an ego-driven blood sport with the rest of Gotham, trying just to make the city livable. In the MCU, she partners with Detective Bullock and talks about his sometimes brutal methods. Ridley, at this point, shoehorns in a page about Arthur Ashe, the tennis player who died of AIDS from a botched surgery, and how he was treated at the end. Meanwhile, Renee meets Daria, a waitress, and they begin a long relationship. Cut to Cataclysm, one of the many city-shattering events in Gotham of the 90s, which led to the No Man's Land event. Gotham was written off by the U.S. government after an earthquake and quarantined. 
Most of the citizens left, and the rest were ruled by various villains who were secretly, in turn, being run by Batman. The GCPD turned into just another gang. During No Man's Land, Renee found herself supporting Two-Face. By the time things went back to normal, Bullock had left the force after making an attempted assassin of Gordon disappear. Without a badge, Bullock became a hopeless drunk. Renee's new partner was Crispus Allen, who was very much by the book. Major Crimes was then run by Maggie Sawyer, a Metropolis refugee and fully out lesbian. Renee wished she could do the same. Renee meets Kate Kane, and although it seems like a bad idea, they later hook up. Another shoehorn from reality and September 11th. Renee saw that as the world catching up to Batman's style of policing. Remember Two-Face? Well, he was convinced Renee was in love with him and decided to out her with a photo of Renee and Daria kissing with her fellow cops either openly mocking her or just sneering in her direction. She tracked down Two-Face and almost killed him before Batman stepped in. She saw this as two men fighting over their right to prove things to a woman. Her family disowns her, and then she has a tryst with Kate Kane. Renee became disillusioned with the force after seeing corrupt cop Jim Corrigan almost get Crispus arrested after tampering with evidence. She fell into booze and sex, at one point almost commits suicide in front of Daria. Crispus builds a case against Corrigan and decides to go after him alone, leaving Renee out of it. This gets him killed, and Renee almost kills Corrigan in response. She quits the force soon after, and Daria leaves her. There's a page about the various crises and how she basically tuned out of it. A mysterious man with no face comes into her life, Victor Sage, a.k.a. The Question. She becomes his partner and confidant. Kate becomes Batwoman, and she sees how Kate had turned her life around. They become a trio for a while. Sage dies of cancer despite Renee's attempts to get him to Nanda Parbat. She quits drinking, gets into philosophy, and becomes the new question. She forgives Two-Face for what he did. In the end, she has become her own person. Not a good person, but not such a bad one. Other than the jammed-in-reality pages, a great comic. It really seems like Ridley is having more trouble getting the reality stuff in. At the beginning issues, it kind of flowed a little better. And now it's like, okay, now we're going to stop the plot line for up two pages and talk about real world. Yeah. And then back to the story. Yeah, we got to get in these things that mean something to the person, you know, now. Right. Batman, The Adventures Continue, Season 2, Number 1, by Burnett, Dini, Templeton, and Kubina. Of course, this is all based on the classic 90s animated series continuity. This first issue introduces the more modern concept of the Court of Owls. Introduced in 2011 by Scott Steider, it's a group of wealthy Gothamites that created and have run the town ever since, all behind the scenes. Batman was allowed to operate as he never got into their business. It also sees the return of Dead Man, who had appeared in the TV series, a literal ghost who could enter and control the bodies of others. Well, except for the owl soldiers, the Talons, since they are basically zombies already. Bruce asks for Zatanna's help to contact Dead Man. The living can't normally see him, and after the use of a talisman and hours of meditation, he appears. Had to be sure you were a believer. Also, you look kind of cute sitting there like that. Now, let's pluck some owls. Crime Syndicate number four of six by Schmidt McCowan, Hitch, Vines, Olaf, and Sinclair. 
In a strange move for such a short miniseries, we get a second major storyline. In the aftermath of the Starro attack, the syndicate still feared by the population. This isn't helped by an influx of new heroes that are actually good guys. Meanwhile, Power Ring has decided to embrace the ring's power. It's actually controlling him, putting Coast City under his protection and forcing U.S. fighters to leave. Luther's busy creating a satellite with tech from New Genesis via Lonar, a new god. He uses it to both monitor Earth, so essentially a watchtower, and call for heroes to join his team. Sinestro arrives, who gladly agrees, as his planet was wiped out by the Owens. He built a yellow ring to fight them. Back to the Syndicate, Owlman and Superwoman break into the fortress. Look at this stuff. This is a man who knows about self-love. Just to get Ultraman's attention. They want him to join their side in the coming war, and Donna wants an heir. Sinestro attacks Power Ring, who is currently being coerced to protect the whole world, not just Coast City. Sinestro silences the ring and tries to convince him to throw off its control. In Metropolis, Ultraman and Thomas Wayne find Luther doing cleanup and accuse him of building a metahuman army using people's fear against them. Oh, and Wayne just bought a seat on the LexCorp board to better control things. This is in the middle of a live interview with Alex. Oops. Power Ring goes to see his daughter, who is terrified of him. Back on the satellite, a new team is coming together. The League of Justice. Alex Luthor, Sinestro, Lonar, Vixen maybe, Cheetah, Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn. Hard to tell since they have very different looks. The backup story shows us Power Ring's origin and why his daughter is so scared of him. Strange Adventures number 10 of 12 by DC Black Label by King, Gerards, and Shaner. Mr. Terrific has put all the pieces together and laid it out in a letter to Alana. He knew things were off. There were inconsistencies in their stories and uh, what actually happened. He saw a parallel between her and his own wife, how she could take my worst pain, all of it, and just twist it, play with it, until it was a spark of joy. Terrific realized that the whole story of Adam Strange was B.S., the Picts should have won the war on Ron, but didn't. Why? Because a deal was made. There are cuts throughout to the battle on Ron, as well as Alana becoming an advisor to the U.S. president. She implores the world that Earth is not ready for the Pict threat. If anything, Earth is better equipped after all the invasions and crises than Ron ever was. In Adam's book, he quotes the Bible. My time is spent with grief, which everyone interpreted as referencing his dead daughter. But that's out of context. The whole passage is about being hurt by your enemies, being ashamed of what they made you into. What deal was made between Adam Strange and the Picts? In exchange for their defeat on Ron, he agreed to give them Earth. The Picts took his daughter as collateral, and he in turn faked her death to give him cover to commit crimes against their soldiers and to make him a trusted hero of Earth. Adam lied to Ron. He lied to Earth, and he lied to you. It's time for a reckoning between Alana and Adam. Then I have a final general DC question. Why did they decide to put an ad for the CW's Black Lightning on most of their back covers the same week the show was ending? <laughs> what mm. was the That seems like a really wasted piece of advertising. Yeah, really. As always, your timing is superb. AT&T Warner Discovery Shinehart Wigs. Announcer bot 
How can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.